This episode of Lost King Podcast is brought to you by monsters. Monsters as big as buildings, sexy monsters you have sex with, and of course, monsters that can land a triple axle. Okay. <laughs> good one, good one. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Last Game Podcast, an episode number 67. Today, a very fun, monster-themed, Oscar-themed, everything-themed, all the themes. I'm, of course, Dr. Shafiq, and who else is joining me in the Last King studio? Yep, Mr. Toffee right there, just gonna talk about stuff, more I would say Oscar-nominated Mr. Toffee. Yeah. Oscar oh, I totally missed that boat. Okay. And this is Academy Award-winning two-time... <laughs> Best actress, eccentric <laughs> Tom. Best supporting actress, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. No, um, we cannot until Meryl Streep retires. I'm yeah, sorry. Like no one has a chance with that. And of course, okay, this is still—it's not really the slump. Okay, things are starting to happen here uh, in Singapore, especially. We've got video games. I don't think we have much of a slump. It's just that we have quite a bit of things that came out near the end of January and also in the middle of Feb, but only because of some trail back from December. I mean, like the yeah. one big thing we're all looking forward to. Okay, some of us looking forward to, like for me, Mr. Ma- major Marvel burnout. Like, okay, Black Panther is on the horizon. Yeah, by the time this episode's out, yeah, it's, it'll be out next week. So yeah, expect the full, uh, very uh, progressive and socially conscious episode I political guess, episode I will try my best not to drop any N-bombs <laughs> <laughs> well you've passed the first test by not saying it right now oh you mean okay I'm sorry no but if anything uh, I mean we also have something else coming out very soon I would say like besides Black Panther uh, what else has been announced quite recently I think we're they actually did announce some stuff from Evil 2018 that's happening in August oh yeah okay. uh, on mean, the video game side guys. Yeah. yeah but I also want to say this uh, this is also the week of the drop of the Han Solo trailer yes oh. did you see that it's actually happening like we we heard nothing about this damn movie for so long and now suddenly we got a teaser trailer and a full trailer uh, yeah, a trailer yeah. for a trailer. Hey, yo, dog, you not, like trailers? I don't know what to think of it. I mean, it looks okay. It, it just popped up and was like, okay, sure, we'll watch the final movie. I That's mean, it. does the final credit say a Ron Howard film? Uh, that was Ron Howard. I remember I saw the words Ron it, Howard. Maybe. Really? There was, yeah. He's entitled. I mean, like the original directors who were axed for Phil Lord and Chris Miller, yeah. Mm. They're not in the credits, right? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, you don't uh, annoy the Kennedy. Mm hmm. But it's nice to see Donald Glover, you know, popping up in that trilogy just for that one bit. But Childish he doesn't Gambino. say anything. I know, Childish Gambino. Like, I know, but the so presence there is like... Okay, all sure. he's done is go, yeah. <laughs> just that really goofy looking face that he pulled on um, Community. community. <laughs> I will say this, right. I would really hope that Childish Gambino himself, okay, Mr. Donald Glover, he has to do the best damn Lando Calrissian, Billy D. Williams impression. I really want to hear him say, Han Solo. My, my. Welcome to my side of the galaxy. I, mean, I don't know if he can pull it off. I think he can. He's a pretty versatile actor. You have to say it in a different context, but yeah, he can do it. He can you think so? Now, I would like to think that this is actually a continuation of Community Canon. Like, this is what he's doing <laughs> when he's away. Like, when like, he's off to the boat with that yeah, uh, He just got on a boat and ended up in space. 4G, 4G, La Forge. Yeah, and he just got, he just got so lost. And like, like he ended up in, in a galaxy far, yeah. far, far, far away. away. And then like Abed shows up. 
<laughs> like, huh? <laughs> right, that's when he truly starts breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. I will say this, right? Uh, okay, I mean, before we go on to our actual topics, okay, we'll be talking about uh, Cloverfield Paradox, which also came with a trailer. Yeah, yeah, it was actually shown during that weekend of Super Bowl, all these trailers. The Super Bowl. I mean, like, okay, if you want to say anything about uh, the Super Bowl, Justin Timberlake still got it. Good. Yeah, it is. Wow. It is. And nice. also, wow, Philadelphia be crazy. <laughs> Did you hear about the guy who ate horse shit in front of a crowd? Wait, wait, wait what? Why? Oh, what the fuck? We're we're <laughs> in a we're, we're talking about a country where children eat detergent. True. So yeah, why are you surprised? <laughs> I mean, I I don't know why I expected better from Pennsylvania, but. Uh, <laughs> What, was he eating horse shit in public while the TV wasn't live? I yeah. don't know what the fuck Well, uh, someone filmed it on uh, Facebook Live because of fucking course. <sighs> People owe humanity. That's why we have monsters coming out to destroy the world. Yeah, <laughs> like this is actual canon. Like uh, Godzilla <laughs> comes just because. Don't do, don't do wish Godzilla. Uh, this is just what, clean up the white the slate clean of this humanity. This is what breaks the camel's. The straw that breaks camel's back. Like, or the straw you, that breaks Godzilla's back. Like, eh? like, you did what? Okay, I'm coming up here sorting your we need. We need to end humanity right now. The gene pool is too polluted. There's nothing we can do about it. We need a reset now. There's yeah. just too much contamination. Well, okay. If, <laughs> way too much contamination. Thank you, Tide Pods. But if anything, I would say this. Like, okay, um, I mean, let's not detract too much. Okay, um, your thoughts on the uh, Han Solo trailer? Because this is happening May-ish, right? It's or supposed early to be May March. Plus. It's Labor Day in the States, which is mid-May. So. I would say, and then the thing is, like, right after that, the Avengers movie as well. Yeah. And just it's, after the Avengers movie, there was actually uh, they actually announced uh, <coughs> Deadpool two at that same month. And it's coming out this year as well. Yeah, right? that's coming out May as well. May's gonna be intense. Yeah, and then like, what do we have for the end of the year? I mean, there's no more DC movies. Is Aquaman still gonna be a thing? No, it's probably end We've of the year. We've heard nothing. Maybe. But uh, Aman and Wasp is coming out in July. This year as well. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Marvel's really front loading this year. We've got one in February. We've got one in May. One in July. Like, are they going to do anything in November, or have they just given up trying to put stuff there? I'm not, I'm not even going to say anything about Marvel. I want to say about Disney in general because it's like. Yeah. So what's going to be our end of the year thing? What is the one thing we have to look forward there's to? There's no animation maybe there's coming a, out. Wait, wait. There is. There is. Uh, Ralph. Uh, Wreck It Ralph Two. Ralph. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Wreck It Ralph. That's November. That's November. Wreck It Ralph will do numbers, but I'm talking about that. You know that tentpole movie we all really look forward to? No, I'm kind of looking forward to Wreck-It Ralph too. I am he looking forward the to it. <laughs> Wait, know? does is Sarah Silverman coming back? Yeah, she's yeah. Princess Penelope. She has to. Mm. I mean, but okay, the thing about... Oh, wait. We just need to mention Ready Player One, right? That's oh, happening. Yeah. Middle of the year. Middle of the year. I don't care at all about that movie. Really? No. Because it's not designed for me. This was made for people of yours. like me. Yeah. <laughs> Just say it. Yeah. For old people. For you old motherfuckers. Yeah. For guys me who too, remember. For guys like you who really enjoyed the Delor- the Delorean from back it's to like, the future. Remember anyone- all these late eighties references? I'm like, no. If anyone can make a pop culture reference movie turn out sentimental and good, it's no, probably Steven Spielberg. The thing is, like, he will do it. He will do it. Wasn't there like like trailer analysis where they say oh look it's characters from Gears of War I don't care if you do <laughs> stuff Microsoft like that and that is the here. if that's your crux of your film it's not gonna turn out it's gonna turn out average I wouldn't even say it's Microsoft <laughs> m- money it's it's fucking Steven Spielberg sir yeah. Yeah. he can make anything he wants DreamWorks he, money like he made the BFG which flopped hard yeah it's still a good movie flopped hard because mm. it's not for this time yeah but he's Steven Spielberg He's still making Schindler's List, Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark money. He's fine. And he's the only guy who... I mean, you have to think about it this way. He bankrolled the first Transformers movie, which was, you know, 
not great, but like <laughs> as a as like I say, as a technical marvel, seeing actual Transformers interact with people, yeah, it, it, was, was, it was fun. At it time, was a yeah. perfectly mediocre movie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like I would say. So at the very least, I expect Ready Player One to be that. You think mediocre, but with the Spielberg touch, and he actually can make it work. I mm. think a lot of people are gonna be very disappointed. Yeah, they will be disappointed, but at least it won't be a horseshit film. Because come on, Spielberg I has never put his name on anything completely horseshit, right? Yes, he has. Nineteen forty-one. <laughs> okay, that was a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, but I would say his only bad movie. I'll... Wait, yeah, I would say maybe this. Okay. He's had clunkers but not you know by really just like this is a I would say shit. this about maybe Ready Player One it might be the minority report for this generation like it's good but it, there's a specific audience for it uh, maybe, maybe you think I, I don't know because the, I mean it's not high concept like sci-fi but then again you're talking about a guy who also did War of the Worlds true but the thing is the source material the book is quite controversial in its own right why this, so so I, some people like it, some people hate it, even within, you know, the geek gaming sphere, which is, is attached, attached to. And uh, there's been some kind of counter-criticism from, uh, you know, my generation of um, nerds. Is it because it's a product of its time? Because this book was about 2000, right? Was it the 90s? Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's very clearly, you know, white guy fantasy, which doesn't mm. sell so well anymore. So, I don't know. And also, we're just kind of tired of that. If you do that whimsical Spielberg touch, you could get away with it. Well, I mean, maybe. I, I, I'm holding a reservation. I'm just saying I have no expectations. I'm not going to go in saying, oh, I'm so hyped. I'm just like, it could be great. It could be bad. I'm not going to feel strongly one way or the other. And speaking of Steven Spielberg, let's talk about one of his protégés, J.J. Abrams, and yeah. his franchise, the Cloverfield series. What about a Good segue? segue huh? Thank you very much. Okay, now we, we're... And like the word for best segue goes to... And the word for best segue goes to an actual segue. Yeah. Uh, okay, but okay. Um, one of the things that we definitely want to talk about this episode uh, in, you know, in detail is something that we didn't expect to happen, something that happened, and we were... Like, it was basically the consensus everywhere is... Oh, that happened and we're all kind of disappointed, but do we have the right to be disappointed? Because the hype was literally a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just announced on Super Bowl, on the Super Bowl itself and yeah, you can actually watch it right now on Netflix when it came out. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like, I, I mean, the thing is, they dropped that movie like basically how Xbox drops a game like, and it's available now. now. <laughs> like, whoa! <laughs> You know, but like, so maybe we set the stage first. So Cloverfield Paradox is actually a film about these scientists who are trying to get this. So if you saw Event and, Horizon, yeah, <laughs> or if you saw Sunshine, oh. <laughs> they're trying to solve an energy crisis through this big ass laser machine thing. Yeah, so they're trying to uh, save the world by going out into space and doing space, space, where no one can use spleen. The final frontier. Okay, where no one can use spleen. Where no one can use spleen. <laughs> okay, but I'm sorry, uh, but okay. So we have uh, an amazing cast of uh, people you've seen in other things. Yes, <laughs> amazing cast of people. Yeah, actors. No, no, really. Young Z and Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd is in the same film. He he plays an Irishman. Wow! This is what a surprise! He's a comedic relief. This is as usual. What a real departure from his house. I would say this about Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd is not say the saving grace of this film, but I would say like his comic relief was very welcomed, uh-huh. and especially like if you was the only saving grace in the film for me. Man. No, just like literally the scene. Okay, again, spoilers for a film that came out literally on the day it was announced. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like. If you're paying attention to what's going on about this film, like you know what's happening. And like everybody's talking about the scene where Chris O'Dowd points to his own arm severed and 
animated and he says let's more folklore <laughs> <laughs> like i can imagine that's uh what's that uh I literally... garrett garrett from it crowd no, i was expecting richard iori to appear yes. nowhere. So like, to like, come out you know just like look at it and uh, yes yes indeed it is your arm <laughs> it's like where did you come uh, from no that's a paradox made a movie together yeah because Richard Iodi is trying to be a director. Oh yeah, he's become pretentious. He's not only a director, but he is the king of panel shows and travel man and gadget man and all sorts of ridiculous documents. He's doing a lot of things right now, right? He was great on uh, Have I Got News For You. No, I like it. I like it whenever he appears on like uh, Big Fat Quiz. Yeah. Because he is that he's the kind of comedy I enjoy, especially if you pair him with something like Jonathan Ross. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, okay, what are we talking about? Okay, we're talking about Cloverfield <laughs> Paradox. Okay, <laughs> but so let me tell you what, uh, Toffee. Want to summarize this as best as you can? Yeah, so we have a very oh, stop. <laughs> All right, is <laughs> that summary? That, well, that, review. That's, <laughs> that's that's the end of our uh, segment. Okay, okay. To summarize, big laser in the sky. Scientists trying to solve world energy crisis, and then after they shot the laser, it was successful. Then they end up in an alternate universe. Apparently. No, they weren't. Apparently, they were not another dimension. Dimension, ah. which is also alternate universe. Nah, say, I would, right? I, the thing is, the, we need to stay specific to their logic because okay. Now, so according to the rules, <laughs> well, if actually an alternate dimension doesn't really uh, reflect the, the same timeline. Okay, but that's the problem. Like this show is basically the paradox, so to say, right? Yeah. And I then like see. Okay, so so here's the paradox. Yeah. Firing the laser causes these people. To be shot into an alternate dimension where the laser doesn't work or the laser didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, it actually crashed in that. Earth. Yeah, so and like then the wars were happening. And then in that like Earth. humanity, because humanity is on the brink of total being, you know, of humanity. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. like humanity being humanity, they're just destroying themselves. So they fire this uh, mega fuck laser, and apparently they end up in another dimension where the laser doesn't work and the cast is different yep. because we have this woman in the wall and there are some things that <laughs> are displaced I'm guessing there yeah, are actually so wounds in the glass for it's like basically uh, I would say looper logic where the uh, timelines try okay. to correct themselves which is what causes all the horror elements to happen yeah, there's some stuff that actually got transported elsewhere oh I see so, so it's kind of like uh, looper meets final destination meets event horizon meets sunshine aspects, yeah. meets superior films okay Okay, I would say this about a uh, Cloverfield paradox. Um, not enough paradox, because yeah. basically, if it, a paradox is something that cannot resolve itself, but things but resolve itself. Pretty fine, actually. So, all right. Yeah. No, I mean, I would say this right. Uh, it started out pretty good. Okay. And then it just kind of descends into really tropish, very like yeah. It turns into like you know, monster of the week where people get killed off one by one in so very a, ridiculous ways. So it becomes a JJ Abrams joint. It became like it is a JJ Abrams. It's like a typical horror film where people get stuck in the ship, crazy shit happens, and they solve it. So like so they remade Lost. No, they remade Event Horizon. Yes. <laughs> without the satanic bits. Now okay, so what? I mean like without the demonic bits of okay. uh, Event Horizon. So just replace it with. Apparently, stuff uh, being misplaced. Just eldritch horror instead. Yeah, not even eldritch like horror. Being misplaced, no, no that's the problem because the thing is, everything happens on the space station. Uh, and then, like the thing is, like for like if you've never seen the movie, you're gonna spend all the time thinking to yourself, like, so what's this got to do with the Cloverfield series? Yeah. And then they'll show you uh, what's happening. Okay, in the so-called the current dimension, uh-huh. what's happening on Earth because of the firing of the laser? Which we have caused that shit that happened. Should we, happen, should we happen. spoil it? 
Well, because the thing is, it was explained to you in the very first five minutes when yeah. they interview some scientists uh, with a book called The Cloverfield Paradox, played by that guy who was you know I, I, I can't remember. Uh, I actually remember who the newscaster was. She actually was in Silicon Valley. Uh, but who's the okay? Anyway, so, sure, yeah. some sure? like tinfoil hat scientist is like trying to explain to like to this journalist is like, oh, if they fire that laser, what they're gonna do is they're gonna tear uh, th- tear the fabric of time and space, and you're gonna unleash demons and monsters. Okay. So. Yeah. And this is a scientist saying it? Uh, this is a guy who writes a book. I mean, like oh, I said, okay. so he's probably a scientist. He's, he's technically a scientist, yes. you know? Well, according to laws of the US. According to laws of J.J. Abrams. Yeah. So, if anything, right. So, I mean, okay, in a nutshell, should we spoil the ending as well? You might as well. You've spoiled yeah. the best part of the movie. so you No, might the best well. part of the movie just Chris O'Dowd. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you spoiled it, so you might as well just spoil the ending. Well, uh, I'll say sure. that. We'll so, like, say people like an hour, you know. Okay, okay. So, basically, when they fired the laser, yes, they did solve the energy crisis. Unfortunately, it did rip a hole in time and space, which is why those monsters appear. So, that's where the original Cleverfield monster comes from? Apparently. Yeah, from the firing, from the laser firing, presumably from the first time. What? So, see, here's the problem everybody has with the Cloverfield Paradox. So, where does that fit in the timeline? Because according to the first film, Cloverfield itself... Yeah, that took part... Probably late thing. 90s, early yeah. 2000s. Yeah, it was probably 10 years ago, that's the and thing. And nowhere in that film, because we're following a bunch of, like, you know, like, 20-somethings... Millennials, yeah. Oh, yeah. Millennials wasn't invented yet, sir. <laughs> okay, uh, like, the last party, of party, the yuppies. Party children. Party children? No, the last of the yuppies. I would say, like, tweens, okay? okay. Like, a couple not, of... Not tweens, they were, like, somethings. they were mid-late 20s. Okay, so, like, no, like, your, your typical friends types. Yeah. Okay, they're having a party, and all of a sudden, hey, monster attack, and, you know, okay... It is probably on the zenith of the whole like found footage uh, wave. Yeah, and it, it was pretty good. I enjoyed mm. it. You know, I mean, it's not exactly Godzilla, and it's not exactly. But it was a good twist and take on the Godzilla trope. Yeah, yeah a different like, perspective. If they just remade Godzilla, it would have been a bit boring. But they made it more focused on what it's like to be just so tiny next to such a huge, massive creature that you obviously can't kill. Mm. But that's quite clever. But I will say also, like, I mean, it was done better by... Who's the guy who did the Godzilla remake? He did that film Monsters. Have you seen A that? Monster, Monster. Uh, Gareth Edwards. Uh, yeah. yeah. Gareth Edwards. So, which, which is basically a better version of, like, what would it be like to literally live in a world where, like, you know, giant uh, okay. kaiju-sized monsters exist. Which is, like, another thing I want to harp on about the second Cloverfield uh, film, Cloverfield Lane, where yeah. it's like, it, it takes that, but it puts it in the bunker. Uh, so yeah, it's like yeah. it's like watching a stage play most mostly, mm-hmm. which is like okay, it's fine. No, but here's the thing, everybody is complaining basically like why are you forcing this Cloverfield brand on things? Because that's the only way they think they can make money off of. Which is very strange because I don't remember Cloverfield itself, the original movie, to be that much of a success. It wasn't a huge blockbuster, but it made back some. I mean, money it, has a, it was a t- had a tiny budget as well. That's why it made disproportionately a lot of money. Because I mean, it's I, like Blumhouse. Blumhouse makes money by like not spending any money. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the conversation I want to have is: it, is it the J.J. Abrams branding or is it the Cloverfield branding? It is the J.J. Abrams branding. You think yeah, so, yeah, right? Because he kind of wants to go back to his baby, the one that made him apart from Lost and apart from I thought his baby would be like yeah yeah, I mean they did the Alias reboot but anyway the point is yeah but he Super wants to go back to one of his other like babies original yeah. babies and I thought that he Super 8 to me is his love letter to Spielberg it's basically him like notice me senpai yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty much but Cloverfield was more like yeah I kind of want to go back to this even though this movie originally wasn't supposed to be part of it per se I don't know if it was you called wanted the to or if I think maybe the higher ups kind of twisted his arm into doing it because I don't think he has the clout to stand on his own two feet now what the original Cloverfield? no Abrams I feel like Abrams 
he's not got like the kind of gravitas to be able to say you're no, talking about the way. guy who's gonna redo the third Star Wars what are you talking about yeah he he, they did, threw, he they, did Star Trek they took the Star keys Wars. away and then they gave it back to him you know after the complaints of Force like, of Force Awakens it's like mm. oh, hey J.J. Abrams and you know why because Spielberg fucking loves this kid he also loved Josh Trank and look what happened there Ay. I guess J.J. Abrams he actually paid his dues with his other past shows back then anyways mm. so. I mean there is a mark of quality to his work and I would yeah. say with anything like I mean he is also I mean he's responsible for the Star Trek reboot which is to me fine film I oh, know it was a great movie yeah. Yeah. it was a great Star Wars remake I just well. wish I could find this mark of quality <laughs> plus in the this Star Wars film, remake you know? yeah. this total paradox it just feel like it's just going through the motions like a checklist with Chris O'Dowd just being like, no, okay. oh, I'm funny. That's I think it. we also need to kind of point out the fact that this is a repurposed movie. It was yeah. repurposed because it was yeah. particle originally, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's basically during the hype of like the, the CERN. What was that? The particle collider. Uh, the hydron, hydron, colli- hydron collider, right? Uh, large hydron collider. Yeah. And then like the discovery of the Higgs boson and like yeah. how everybody was like freaking out, like, oh my god, we discovered the God particle. What does that mean? And I get it. I get it's like you know, it's like a nice buzzword appears, and then like, yeah. what's a way for us to like latch onto that and like you know introduce it to pop culture or like, like it's like basically you know. Like when nuclear war was happening, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. everybody freaked out. Then they made like you know them like giant ant movies or mm. giant bunny movies. Oh, Night of the Lepus. Night of the Lepus. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like oh, and, and uh, uh, or Northfield of the Gods. I think it was rats, right? Oh, Northfield of the Gods. Yeah. That that show was fun, yo. Yeah. No, but I will say this: like like when the nuclear bomb happened, like we have shitters like that. Yeah. But we also have Godzilla. True. You know, we have like amazing films that you know uses that like the parables of what's happening with. Uh, like current society so like okay I get it so you have this film probably about you know people m- messing too much with like the fabric of like you know space time nature mm-hmm. mass so it's kind of technophobic not really I would no? say the thing is right there was probably a better movie he- there that they but they had to twist it to fit yeah. this either that or, yeah, or they excised all the smart bits and put in all the fun bits okay with the the bunny ears fun so, but whose decision was that do I don't think? know the thing is we can't really tell and because I, like, I think Abrams has a bit more respect for his audience. He's not afraid to, you know, make it a bit smarter sometimes. Well, so, yeah. Like the first season of Lost was fairly high concept. Until it went up its own ass. Well, that's when he. Through. Well, that's when he left, and he left it to someone else. Yeah. So. But I don't know. This is like. Uh, I mean, I, I would mean, say this it, about it, even if it stands on two feet, it the final product itself. It was a, it was really underwhelming. But also, we also to kind of point out that Abrams didn't direct this. He yeah, just produced it. Was, it was, it was uh, the okay. other directors. Yes, there was another director. Who so was like, escapes yeah, me right now. Because the thing is, right, I would say, if anything, watching Cloverfield Paradox, it's stealing from a, like far superior films. Oh uh, yeah. Do you guys know a guy named Julius Ona? No, familiar. Okay. I don't yeah, know. he was a director. He's, he's probably show. like you know one of uh, Abrams' proteges from the Bat Robot camp. I'm, I'm oh, guessing. Okay, yeah, yeah. And the original writers were Oren Uziel and Dong Young. Mm. Mm. I'm not sure who those guys are. But the thing is, are these the guys who wrote the God Particle? Yeah, or? those two. These two guys were the ones who did God Particle. So and then okay, so they repurposed this film. Uh, apparently, nobody knew what to do with it. So this is what I'm like basically. I'm hypothesizing a bit, but it's like they had a good movie. But they knew they couldn't sell it. Yeah. So they had to do something. So basically, they call a uh, Wunderkid Abrams. It's like, hey, do something. And then he probably is kind of busy with his own shit. So he just like twisted it a little bit, gave it to his production. Yeah, house. that's yeah, what it felt sure. like to and me. It'll, it'll yeah. work it's and basically he just put his stamp on it. Like, okay, there, there you go, shit it out. And I think yeah, because they just sold it to Netflix because obviously they, even they, though they added the Cloverfield stamp to it, they knew they weren't wasn't gonna make any money in theater. At all, yeah. It's I like agree. how uh, Annihilation 
um, is going to become a Netflix movie. What's Annihilation? Uh, it's it's all Natalie Portman, right? Yeah. It's um, the guy who did uh, Ex Machina. Okay. In his next movie. Paramount just sold it to Netflix for 50 million. The thing oh, is, what shit, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, shit. Like, what I really want to do is that I really want to research what's going on nowadays, especially the way we consume media. I mean, it's great because the thing is, right, I still, I, I believe, right, physical media is on its last legs. You kidding? I mean, yeah, like, rem- uh, there was this article I read where, like, people were saying, like, oh, Target's going to stop selling CDs. I, and then, like, the sub header was like, Target still sells CDs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I giggled my ass off. But it was like, to me, the next thing to go is the cinema. Because if you can get yeah. quality 4K streaming into your home, and if you can just afford yourself a nice projector system, a nice like home theater system, yeah, actually. and you can immediately like you know get rid of the whole uh, you know the uncontrollable element of other assholes in the cinema. Yeah, yeah, I you suppose. I mean? But I think that that's gonna still be a while away because I definitely cannot afford anything 4K or decent sound system. And also, plus, IMAX still exists. People are no, gonna yeah. watch films in IMAX. They're willing to pay a little bit more for that. I think cinema might survive, but it might become more boutique. You think? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's happening here in Singapore because we have like limited runs of like like the only way I could hear. I mean, here, sorry. The only way I could see uh, "Call Me by Your Name" was through a boutique cinema. But that's also because of our sensible doesn't like gay people. Hey, that's projector, right? That's it was the and the projector, yeah. and I would say like I mean like even a film like I Tonya, which we are yeah. gonna talk about and that we caught. It's hard to find here for some reason. And there you go. Also, Shape of Water is just not playing in certain uh, cinemas. I that mean, is super strange, yeah, because it seems like a big film. Because I would say like especially for I mean, I mean let's talk about our uh, not say our demographic but our location, our geography here in yeah. Singapore. I mean. We have a movie going audience, but Absolutely. unless it's a giant Marvel special effects laden blockbuster, or it's something from China, or it's a Korean drama, or whatever, yeah, or it Japanese will not well. survive in this. Absolutely, you know, in, especially like we are a download culture people here. Absolutely. So I would say like you know it kind of makes sense because I think the rest of the world is catching on to this. Mm. I would say like you no. Know, People are cutting cable right now. Like everybody is now dependent on like Netflix and Hulu. Like yeah. we haven't we haven't received Hulu or Amazon Prime proper here. Yeah, I mean even though it's available, which is strange. We got the starter of Amazon Video, but it's super limited. I think Hulu. I give it this year or early twenty nineteen. They you will think? launch. Yeah. Because yeah. oh, Netflix is making good money in APEC. So it makes sense that Hulu's gonna try at some point. Even though they're not getting some of the movies from the US site available. I think the main issue is licensing, yeah. Yeah, Also, Hulu is owned by some American broadcast company and I think that's why it's more difficult for them. Netflix or NBC? One of the big uh, networks. I mean, but for me, like, uh, like say when I was in Australia, yeah, and then like I saw like they had more shows on like stuff like Netflix and like, yeah, and it's basically oh because Foxtel is a thing there, yeah, and Rupert Murdoch's Australian, that's true. People so, forget it's an actual Australian company that's ruined the US. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Hugh Jackman. Yep. Anyway, no, but no, he's a great actor, but he, he ruined the, the US, yeah. <laughs> especially especially with the Greatest Showman. That's oh. a piece of shit film. <laughs> Sorry, okay, but okay, back to Cloverfield. So What's your final ratings for you can actually talk about stuff we like? Uh, okay, yeah. Okay, uh, I would say three, really? Three. I didn't like That's it at You've all. You've never gone below five, wow. Nah, I fucking hate this film. Dude, it, there's no purpose for this apart Three from just for Chris O'Dowd. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I would give it, highlight. I yeah. would give it four because. What do you mean a tree, sir? 
Yeah, three. A, a three. tree. A tree. A tree. <laughs> Have you tried turning it on and off I mean, again? There was so much promise <laughs> in that film. I kind of wanted it to go one way, but it ended up becoming a typical space horror film that isn't even that entertaining in the long run. I mean, run. okay, speaking of Chris O'Donnell, can I just mention one missed opportunity? Yeah. When basically, like, you know, when he lost his arm and he was li- like literally a one-armed guy and he's yeah. like trying to fix things and people are like, hey, could you hurry up? And I always wanted him that moment to just say, I'm doing it as fast as I can. I'm disabled. I wanted him. It popped in my head. Just say it. I'm disabled. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. Uh, IT crowd needs to come back. Richard Ayadi. No, no, no. I think it finished the best way it did with an awesome movie. Yeah. No, it did. It did end it the best way possible. I don't want to see a reboot of this ever. I mean, I just wanted to come back. Like, they still have jobs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Uh, but, okay, so Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, I give it a parrot. Paradox. Paradox. Paradox, okay, okay. So, what's that in, in numbers? Two. Okay. One and one is two. two. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, okay, okay. I wouldn't give it a two. I'll give it. Three. One ball. Oh, two, two balls in the shaft. Right? I would say maybe. Uh, Four. Okay. Four, uh, you, you know, you're pretty generous. generous. I'm a bit more generous because the thing is, on the technical level, like some of the horror and special effects is pretty good. Dr. Shafiq being generous? Oh, yeah, it's a new year. It's like yeah. we're in a parallel uh, dimension. <laughs> we're in an alternate yeah. universe right now. Nothing makes sense. Okay, so we're also going to be uh, uh, going for a quick break here. And then uh, we're going to come back and talk about two Oscar-nominated movies, both very wet and slippery. Uh, one features a uh, uh, figure skater who is uh, very graceful on the ice and uh, one features a sexy underwater monster who is not so graceful on the ass. And we're back! To talk about uh, some better films than uh, the, the Cloverfield Paradox. That's the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's so terrible. We've forgotten about it already. So we are hurtling headfirst into Oscar season, and so we have two more Oscar films. That yep. we We're going to talk about the nominees. Two of the nominees. Two nominees. Wait, did Antonia get Best Picture nominee? No, right. She got what Best Picture, Best Actress, really? and Best Supporting Actress for who? Oh, for the mom. The mom. What's her name? I Whatever. have it with me. Anyway, uh, we're first going to talk about Guillermo del Toro's latest film, The Shape of Water, mm-hmm. which uh, we discover afterwards is based on a poem from uh, the 17th century called The Shape of the Shape of Air Around You. Have you mm. found that poem? I've, I've never no. read the poem, have you? Neither have I, but I've, I'm familiar with The Shape of Air Around You. I've heard that phrase before. So uh, what? let's start by talking about what uh, what's about. Uh, it's about a uh, mute woman fucking a fish. Yeah, pretty much. It's a romance story between a government experiment and a mute custodian. So if you like Played sushi by... sexy. Yeah. <laughs> Played by Sally Hawkins. And there's great puppet, uh, you know, Puppert? like a fish work, fish work, puppetry work, uh, fish, a fish guy costume work yeah. by so Doc Jones. We yeah. start off by... Which is... Uh, He's is also it? Ape Sapien in there you Hellboy. Go. Hellboy 2. Yeah. We, we start the film just seeing uh, this really weird like waterscape. It's it's really just like 
we just see a lot of water and it's like we go to an apartment complex. With a really good soundtrack. Mind. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's beautiful. beautiful. It's like that Bioshock um, soundtrack mm. from the original Bioshock. Okay. It's got that kind of vibe as well. It's got yeah. the Rapture vibe going on. It's a on. guy called Alexander <laughs> Desplat. Really good stuff. Alexander Desplat. Yes, I think he got nominated for Best Soundtrack. Yes, he did. He did. For this film. Like, definitely deserves Who that. Who did the original Bioshock? Shock soundtrack. Was it Grim Revel? No, right. Uh, I should know this. It's a guy named Greg something. He did the original Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. Okay. If uh, I yeah. recall. Yeah. But it's really good stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah. Um, but then uh, the water disappears and we start seeing Sally Hawkins' uh, just day in the life. Oh, there's a name that sounds familiar to me. Where have I seen her before? Modley. Modley. Modley? Modley. Modlin. Modley. Uh, it was a movie about an American painter who helped out with this custodian grumpy guy and then her paintings got really famous. She's Teddy Roosevelt, like, also an alumnus of a TV show. Uh, I cannot place it, but she looks very, very familiar. Yeah, yeah. But in this movie, yeah. For a person who does not say anything at all, but yeah, this is really not a good job. It's yes. not a spoiler, by the way. It's just it's very early established that she's mute. Yeah. She's not deaf, she just can't speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you see that she has uh, scars on the side of her neck. Like gills. They look like gills, yeah. yeah. And... Um, and uh, there's just a, there's just a, they never say why she's mute, but there's kind of an implication that something happened to her voice box. Okay, and so that's uh, like so kind of pictures, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that uh, she's um, she's a cleaner at this government facility, and she's best friends with Octavia Spencer, uh, a character named Zelda. She yeah. is actually like the her interpreter of sorts when she gets into she's she's people. their best friend, her best friend, and uh, it's great because uh, Sally Hawkins says nothing, and Octavia Spencer. Just will not shut the fuck up. So she's the exposition box, basically, for this entire but film. She's an exposition. It's like it's like watching a mini Tarantino movie, because she's just talking about the most random shit just yeah, yeah. to this woman who knows she can't interrupt and so she, she cannot say anything. So yeah, and so she just talks shit about her husband and more about her husband about being the a black woman in the sixties, yeah. how her feet hurt, how this happened, how that happened, and she just goes on and on and on and on. I guess it's like a critic. Cute dynamic. It's a symbiotic yeah. relationship. You know, there's someone who's very good at speaking and someone who's very good at listening. It's it's a very nice relationship. You don't feel like one's grating to the other. It's like they have this this relationship which developed naturally because you know. I would say this is more along the themes of like Guillermo del Toro is very famous for having a lot of characters that yin and yang each other. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely this is very prevalent in this one. It's this and you see that in almost everyone and there's they. At least every character has a duality from some with someone else. I think this is something. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think the best example of this would probably be like Pacific Rim, where literally you need two Jaeger yeah, pilots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like they're both con- conflicting, contrasting personalities, but somehow they complement each other very well. We should well. bring up the other characters too. I mean, along the way I'm, we have. I'm, a I'm, I'm, I'm bringing him up as I as I go along, and uh, I think fairly early on they bring in a new uh, subject matter, and they say it's from the Amazon, and it turns out it's the titular Fishman. And just over the course of the film, uh, we see Sally Hawkins' relationship with uh, Fishman, and uh, that develops. I'm not going to talk about it too much because that's a spoiler. But yeah. we'll introduce the other characters. We have Michael Shannon as uh, Zod. The... <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a CIA handler in this one. Yeah, kind of. And yeah. he's amazing. Just truly, I, he commands the room because he's like one of those guys who's extremely creepy. And like the worst kind of macho man, like he's unbelievably racist and sexist, but in like the kind of microaggression kind of way. It's just like the minor things, like uh, he 
He's just talking to Zelda and... Uh, and he doesn't even wash his hands when he goes to the toilet. No, he you get all these little things He washes here. his hands first and then he pisses. Yeah. But is he like... Do you think he's the stand-up performance? He's not stand-up, but he's definitely... You notice him because... He's, yeah. he's an antagonist, obviously, well, but he commands that presence where you expect it, but at the same time, you're wowed by it, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, you know how Michael Shannon just commands the screen no matter what he does? But he does have a habit of getting very hammy very quick, too. He wasn't hammy in this one. He's fairly understated, yeah. actually. I mean, he reigns in, there's no, like, I will find him <laughs> moment. Yeah, there was nothing like that, thankfully. This was more like, okay, this is the kind of guy you expect born out of that era, basically, like, that the, macho guy. The most you see... Yeah, but that's the one thing I want to talk about. The, 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 it's like, I'm not too sure where this, this is supposed to be set in. Is it 50s? It's 1963. 60s, 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 right? Because yeah. there's references to the Russians sent a dog up into space, they wanted to put a man on oh, the moon. Oh, like that. <laughs> the space race, basically. Yeah, and then there's, a, uh, there's another character who I can't remember his name, uh, the doctor, right? No, not the doctor. The the uh, Giles, uh, Richard Jenkins, the actor. Yeah, the gay, uh, the, the gay guy. The gay guy. Yeah. He's basically a guy. Um, he's a man whose whose job is disappearing. He's a guy who used to draw. Uh, kind of like your job, pretty much. He used to paint. Um, My job. Yeah. I'm a full time last king potter. He paints, <laughs> he paints adverts. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, but uh, like a madman. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> he's been asked to leave because he's uh, quite obviously gay. Like, he, he never says it out loud that he is, but you can tell because he's infatuated by this one guy in a uh, pie shop. Mm. And, and he just said that one line in the show that yeah. summed up his life. And also, his former boss, there are insinuations that they used to have a relationship, mm-hmm. and it went bad, and they used that as a pretense to get rid of him. Like, there was that kind of like, the hostile tone they're using with yeah. each other. Like, they don't actually outright say it as yeah. good. It was like, okay, this happened, and it was a bad time yeah. around that period. But they watch musicals together. Which I yeah, think is yeah. stereotype enough. Yes, yeah. pretty much a stereotype. But uh, there's a moment where uh, they watch a news channel, and it's the uh, Birmingham, um, the Birmingham march happening. Okay. So you see the attack dogs and the water spraying uh, the mm, um, yeah. black protesters. So that's how they frame it without saying the dates. Mm. You know when it's happening roughly. I mean, if anything, Guillermo del Toro has an attention to detail that's pretty much unmatched nowadays. And, yeah, yeah. It's like, the aesthetic and tone of this film it, is really good. Everything about it, down to, and this is something which a lot of um, uh, uh, directors don't do anymore, but they use period-appropriate music. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's why just, the Bioshock references maybe. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. I mean, they choose really lovely, lovely music. And it's music that you'd want to listen to afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, so not... But it's not like that nouvelle rock stuff. It's uh, you know like really show tuney, really like you know glitzy, glammy stuff. Which actually ties into the actual story. Yeah, it, it ties into the narrative yeah. as a whole. That's something else that Del Toro is really good at. Every single thread just ties into the narrative yeah. itself. Elisa herself, the main character, likes to watch all these show tunes. Yet she can't sing. So that's that parallel there with the music yeah. and everything, and to communicate to with the fishman when that stuff happens. Oh yeah, they communicate really well. through sign language. And how does the fishman learn? I can't remember. Uh, well, he just he just is able to mimic. He's mimicking. Um, he's obviously an intelligent creature, but he just mimics what he sees. So he learns how to. Like Coco the gorilla, right? Kind of <laughs> a, a little sense, bit. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, but if anything, uh, okay, we've got the players in play right yeah. now. So like, like I mean, maybe let's talk about the overall uh, story and setting. The story itself, I would argue, is the weakest element <clears throat> because it's a very simple love story. Hmm. It's, uh, you know... Boy, uh, girl meets fish. <laughs> girl meets fish. Uh, and then there's people in the way to get between that. Yeah, I mean, and the it's, situation. it's a reinterpretation of Romeo and Juliet. 
pretty much. I'd argue to say that the but story every love story has to be is simple. <laughs> yeah. Because they have to be simple for everything else to actually get you trapped into yeah, the, its aesthetic <clears throat> and everything. It's like it's how we talked about Killing of a Secret Deer, where they remove certain elements to kind of focus on the parts that matter. Mm. Something similar happens here where they remove, you know, any inconvenient uh, subplots, there's no, you know, undertones, there's no complex I would say I go as far as to say that this is kind of similar to Baby Driver in a sense. In terms of that music kind of drives the film as aesthetic and tone as well. Um, Except Shape of Water is a bit more fairy tale-ish. So it's paced okay. with the music? Is that no, what you're trying no, to say? No, not really, not really. But it's just everything else is aesthetics that just I, make it I, feel more fairy tale-ish in that era. But I, I would... don't see what you're saying. I don't agree because uh, whilst in Baby Driver, the music was a character almost as much as the as you know Baby himself. Like it was part of his personality. It's more just it's just really really well done here, and it just helps tie that this is the 1960s. Yeah, I mean, this is actually done better here. That's yeah, for sure. So it's like probably like an additional layer, like a texture over everything yeah. else. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. There are side stories that there's an element of uh, Russian espionage happening with one of the characters, mm-hmm. which it's a very simple and it ties up fairly cleanly. There's a uh, what's the name of uh, the gay characters? Uh, Giles. 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 He's got his little subplot, but that ties up. Halfway through the movie, but I think yeah. his is also a great parable to the overarching uh, story because basically this whole thing is about unrequited love, isn't it? Uh, because like it's gay repo- people in that era, I mean, yeah, it was beyond taboo, especially. And yeah. like when you have, then we have like something more fantastical and extreme with like more. I just feel that the, the gal subplot was like it was there, it happened, and then oh, we're done with that. We're just gonna change focus. So it's just subtext in yeah. general. I think it's maybe also uh, Del Toro what was kind of done with that story like he didn't want have anything else left to say with Giles but it doesn't yeah. feel like padding at all right it, it was like it, it was an important part because mm. it it helps with his character arc because it's that which changes why how he interacts with um, Sally Hawkins' character mm. but it definitely feels like uh, Del Toro is not used to writing gay characters mm, but I think he just needed at that point of time not to say a gay character but more like uh, a point of compassion yeah, yeah it yeah. was a point of compassion I'm not saying like he did it for the sake of it but it's very clear that he didn't know how much further to go with this character I mean that's the thing about Del Toro so it ends up becoming, com- becoming a compliment to Sally Hawkinson's character yeah, yeah. it kind of becomes a bit more backgroundy uh, but you needed something exactly. to kind of like decipher needed, the muteness also yeah. we needed to focus on uh, the like the final third, it needs to focus on just two characters, so everyone else becomes secondary. Window dressing, basically. and that's that's fine, that's okay. Because like one thing I admire, but also at the same time always am nitpicky about when it comes to Del Toro is because he over designs everything. Yes. So whenever you see like a side character, like say for example in Pacific Rim, mm-hmm. where like even the other Jaeger pilots, they I want to see what their stories are about because they're not saying they're over designed, but because there's so much attention that could detail. have been. Uh, like there's so much explore. aesthetics that you can explore there, especially with I'm like my favorite. Uh, Jaeger team was the Russian team. I was about oh, to right. say, yeah, because like the boy and girl dynamic was like, oh, this is like not because they're these big, scary Russian archetypes, and their Jaeger is so badass. It's like this is a Mark One, mm-hmm. like this is ancient history. And here. the thing is, right, this is something I realized when I rewatched the film. They're actually a couple. Yeah, like we, I didn't notice that, but it's like that. That one they were siblings. Is it? I think they're twins. And the whole point is they die really quick without even us exploring was, what the hell goes yeah, on. Yeah, that was how you a trio also just they, they yeah. polished off so damn quickly. Um, yes. But like, and that's the thing, like the even the Chinese team was like, oh, look here we have like typical like no, I wouldn't say typical. I would say like uh like a, a bit of a stereotype. Like look yeah. at Asian efficiency mm. and where you have an extra arm and because like the three guys work so well and they're so cognitive, and then like the Russian team is like basically like oh these two like. 
oh these people really care about each other yeah. or something it's like and the yeah. thing is then you get drawn to the main characters and like the main characters are not that interesting mm-hmm. it's like Marco was probably the most interesting out of what's the, the male lead Charlie Hunnam yeah Charlie Hunnam and then like the thing is like okay if we're gonna talk about uh, Del Toro like yo Pacific Rim 2 is coming out Boyega yeah. 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 as Elba Jr Exactly. See where he goes with that. So I mean, like. Pentecost Jr. <laughs> hey, there you go. Ah, uh, we're canceling the apocalypse. Now we're starting it again. Yeah. I'm John Boyega. Yeah. Anyway, but I would say, how about this? In the shape of water, did you guys feel that like maybe it had a bit of that Guillermo del Toro over design? Not really. I Not for say, this one. I would say everyone design equal. But you me. can tell that he really loves set design, like it's oh very much. It is yeah. gorgeous. I mean, even there's a dream sequence where. The set, which is someone's apartment, effortlessly becomes a uh, musical stage. And then it comes back... Goes to back become in. a regular apartment. That yeah. was beautiful. It was a gorgeous transition and you could really buy it. But definitely, this is something where he's still a bit weak. And I think it's also his uh, it's something that his English language uh, films suffer from. The script, it's okay, but it's not masterful. Yeah, I guess. It's, it's like... You can tell this is someone's second language, where there's definitely a clever element and it's believable script, but it's not. It doesn't stand out. There's nothing. Real. I don't think the script is supposed to stand out as much. It's all the performances in Maybe the end. not, but like you notice that it's weaker than the other parts. Is what I'm trying to say. Mm, I'm not true, saying. True that. True I'm not that, saying it's yeah. bad. I'm saying. I'm even saying it's good. It's definitely better than uh, some of his earlier English language uh, uh, works. Mm. But you can tell that his attention was. Elsewhere, you could say his focus was definitely on everything else. I mean, like, I want to bring up something that. from an earlier Del Toro film. If you all guys remember Hellboy Two, yeah, mm-hmm. remember that scene where they kill this ancient beast and it turns into this beautiful tree in the middle of the city. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. all of a sudden, like, wait, why is, why is this uh, like magical ethereal thing happening right now? I might yeah. have to watch it again. It's been a while. No, but that's yeah. the scene that stuck out to me the most because I don't remember anything about the army or like the elves or whatever. But that scene is like this is. It's gorgeous, strangely beautiful, but then it has and it no feels kid- so out of place, right? Yeah, and it's also like the original uh, Hellboy was a fine movie, but they completely waste like the eldritch uh, elements. Perhaps, perhaps. Like, yeah. like, well, if you want tentacles, you get tentacles at the end. You yeah, get tentacles, yeah. but like ten minutes of tentacles. So in the shape of water, how much tentacles do we have? Uh, well, we have <laughs> well, there is a fish stick. That's for sure. <laughs> well, we don't see it, but yeah. we have reference to how the fish stick works. Yes, <laughs> that's pretty. Yeah, yeah, it's actually done in the really. Yeah, that is a quotable right there. It's a yeah. trick Tom. We have a reference to how fish stick works. <laughs> yeah, it's just like basically uh, because uh, Sally Hawkins is mute and she's describing the sex scene. Like spoiler alert, they have sex. Yes. Um, <laughs> she describes it to Octavia Spencer and Octavia Mozella says, "How does it work?" And she just like mimes it. And it so, mimes it in the best way possible. And she goes like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, the very typical uh, black lady like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of noise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, I don't know like any of you guys felt like like to me the most uncomfortable interspecies sex scene was probably from Splice oh my god I remember you remember Splice. this so much it, oh you have not seen it I'm so I've, sorry oh you have to watch it I, it's crazy but I know there's that sex scene because also because it's a mother sorry a father's daughter relationship kind well, of because the thing is yeah, yeah, yeah the alien is made out of the DNA of both the, the man and the woman man oh. and the woman yes it's so, or in a sense of the woman more right so it's like interspecies incests, which made that movie so hard. Much. I'm yeah. sorry, I said that. But okay. this is actually done in a very underwater, romantic, 
Oh, no, it's beautiful light. I mean, it's yeah. it's not uh, fairy tale. Fairy tale. It's not icky. It's definitely it's done um, nice. Yeah. Ish. Like you know, for interspecies sex, uh, it's done in a very romantic way. Yeah. yeah. But because uh, the creatures are like stuck in water, um, uh, there's an element of like water destroying other stuff, I, which uh, is kind of funny. Right? <laughs> I don't want to say it too much because I want you to yeah. see it. And but it's it's really funny the way. And they true it. to Del Tormo's style of doing this kind of fantastical work, there is some gore. Speaking yeah, speaking speaking of that, um, yeah, uh, you have to remember Del Toro likes his body horror. Like, there's a part with Shannon's character especially with yep. um, uh, like a, yeah something that happens to him and it's it's really gross. It is like really, gross. really like I was gagging in the cinema. Is it Cronenberg level? No, right. Okay, not, okay not, not that much. It's not that intense, it's not like, right? It's like body morphing, but it's definitely like ugh. Oh, like more brain. It's more like, it's more like a <laughs> literal evolution, deep devolution of like, the characters, uh, let's just sanity, say and all that. Really good foley work. There you go. Yeah, mm. squishy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> pretty much. Squishy, crunchy. <laughs> squishy and crunchy. And uh, squirty. Speaking of squirty. Yeah. <laughs> but anything, I mean, like, what's your overall consensus for this film? I totally love it, dude. It, it's, it deserves it's, its domination. I would not say it deserves to win Best Picture. It's, of all the films that have been nominated, it's it's the, not, I wouldn't say it's the weakest. Like, they're definitely weaker films that have been nominated, mm. but... I would say, compared to what we're going to talk about later in Itonia, I definitely think that this is a weaker film. This, mm. for me, because, again, I haven't seen the movie which you guys are going to talk about later on, okay. but if I saw this last year, I'd probably put it in one it of the It came out last year, right? Yeah, but it actually came out this year in, in Singapore. But I think it got limited release in the States. I think it got full release early January. Because how do you market that? How do you work, market a sexy fish story? Uh, you just put Del Toro's name on it and you yeah. hope he has enough fans left. I yeah. mean, like, the thing is, right... The After Death Stranding, I don't know, man. Oh, can we not talk about okay, that? I, I mean, like, the last time we had a sexy fish story was, like, in the 80s with Splash. Like, and before that, probably well, Creature of Black Lagoon. Creature of Black Lagoon was straight on sexy rape. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was consensual. Or maybe it was. I can't remember. I have to dig out, dig out that movie. <laughs> I'm probably sure it's free. It's like definitely one of those uh, like royalty free stuff. I don't know. Creature of the Black Lagoon? No, I think Universal still owns them. Yeah, they, they would. Yeah, because they're, they're trying again with. Uh, I thought they gave up already. They're trying again. They're rebooting the reboot. What? Because oh, they lost the writer for Invisible Man, so they're trying again. So what are you gonna do? Oh, what? Oh, werewolf. You should do a werewolf movie. Oh uh, wait, American we st- werewolf. And they tried. That, Del Toro tried a werewolf movie with Benicio del Toro. That's not bad. It was. It was, a, it was gory as fuck, but a bit boring. Uh, I would say at least it's superior to the Jack Nicholson wolf movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, after the guy gets the claws like shoved up into his jaw, mm-hmm. nothing quite peaks after that point. <laughs> mm, that like, because you know, after like the <laughs> noises. Do you know what we really need? We need an American Werewolf in London reboot. Oh yeah, a funny horror movie with like for for this age with guessing, current right? generation special effects. And we need to slap Max Landis far away from that project. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. I think far you'll say, you'll say my daddy away. made this. Fuck off. Bye bye. Go 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 go. Go, go ruin it. Writing one one. Go know? ruin another fantasy movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but speaking of fantasy stuff, yeah, uh, Shape of Water, good stuff. Eight out of ten. I would say. Really, eight, eight out of ten. ten. Hmm. I'm pretty say. generous about this. How much did you give Reindeer? Uh, I gave Rain. Uh, I think Killing of the Secret Deer. Uh, yeah, sorry, right. Killing of the Secret Deer. Why did I say Reindeer? I think I gave it an 8.5 or a 9. So this is not as good as Killing of the Secret Deer. Well, because Secret Deer, it was a great movie, but it was so fucking weird. Mm. This is this is Del Toro weird. 
I, I can tahan um, uh, Del Toro weird. Yeah, yeah. Little bit of signatism right there. There you go. I'm getting an. Uh, I'm giving this nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. I love it a lot. Okay. I actually had a lot of good feelings watching but, this I film, mean, from Sally Hawkins's work to all that crazy yeah. shit that happened, which I can't spoil. But where would you guys want to stack this against all of the Del Toro's work, like uh, with Devil's Definitely once the below Pan's Labyrinth. This is below Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, that's your below. movie. Pan's Labyrinth is like a nine or ten-ish, you know, for me. Hmm. Good stuff. This is his strongest English language movie, definitely, by far. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's I, I, I love Pacific Rim, but that was a dumb movie. Yeah, yeah, dude. So I also put yeah. Pacific Rim is fun, like a no. Oh, it was a fun dumb movie. Dude, Rocket Elbow. We need more that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like it's like uh, we need more Voltron swords, man. It's like the yeah. honest trailers uh, guy said. It's either the dumbest awesome movie or the most awesome dumb movie. It's both. Yeah. It works on both. It's like Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. yeah, if you really pay attention to it, it's kind of a dumb movie. Yeah, but the spectacle, sirs. Yeah, the way it's shot, the way it's been presented, I mean, like, characters, everything. If there's stuff. anything I want to say about uh, Del Toro's uh, kind of output, right? It's like, I'm very glad that he's putting out like quality work like uh, The Shape of Water, even though he's like thrown the reins of Pacific Rim 2 to another director. I think he was forced I'm happy. to leave the project. Yeah. I'm kind of okay with that because you I think? want to see the director. Because again, Pacific Rim had its flaws. Definitely. It had its flaws, but the thing is, it was done by a true fanboy. I don't know about the other director. That's what I'm a bit worried about. Yeah. The thing about Del Toro is that he he is an amazing. I think he he's has, one of us. He's a nerd. He That's has, what I think. But he also has the technical still skills on par with uh, the other uh, Mexican directors of his ilk. Like Inarritu and. Inarritu and Cuaron. I think mm. he has on par technical skills with them. It's just he shows it more with set design rather than camera work. I would yeah. say yeah, that he is the more visual of the three. Like, the, like you know like how we've always wanted more authors actually popping up. He like is Christopher definitely Nolan, an author. Yeah, he is definitely. an author. And it's, imp- it's important that he made this movie because before this it was uh, Crimson Peak. I totally forgot what the hell happened at Crimson Peak. Oh, so it's honestly. basically Tom Hiddleston in the haunted house, right? I yeah. also it's missed out on it. horror per se, which I guess is okay, but again, not my bag. It also made no money. And I think he was in danger of becoming like that guy. Mm-hmm. So it's important that he made this movie to say, no, I'm still really damn good. I just let my inner fanboy get the better of I would say this about Del Toro. I think he is the Tim Burton of this generation. I agree. Because mm, he is yeah. definitely pushing more of an aesthetic value to his films. Like, yeah. it's more about the visuals and more about, like, uh, how do you say, visual storytelling. Yeah. And less to do with, like, you know... You hit the nail on the head right there, dude. Yeah. And also, I think he's less in love with... Well, I mean, he loves Rob Perman, but apart from, from that, he's not too set on just having the same people over and over again. Mm. Which is definitely, like... Once Tim Burton uh, uh, got with uh, bottom cast, he's like, okay, so basically I'm just going to give my wife money for the next 15 years. <laughs> and my yeah. best friend Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I wonder if they're still friends. Wait, uh, probably. is Sasha Baron Cohen also technically Tim Burton's friend? Because I see him appearing. I think that the Alice won that movie, right? I can't, see, I can't remember him in anything else, though. Oh, he was in okay. uh, Sweeney Todd. Was oh, he? Yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was the first guy right? to be uh, slaughtered. But then again, this was during the peak of Bora and Sasha Boran Cohen. Like, he appeared in freaking uh, Hugo, right? Yes! Hugo? Yes, yeah, he, he was yeah, in he Hugo. Was the, he was the train. Uh, so, like, he he, the that was the peak of his popularity. And the thing yeah. is, like, I think after Bruno, he. I didn't, I'm not saying he fell off. Well, because like, Bruno was bad. It's like, mm. he tried to do the same, like, a uh, shock. I want to do a whole episode about how Bruno, I think, is technically superior. Because it's not. It's more mean spirited, but I feel Bruno. Because of the success of Borat, the, the ability for him to still get away with it and uh, what he had to do. Okay. I think it's also, yeah. it's less punching down because, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like what the fuck did Kazakhstan do to him where mm. he, like, <laughs> he basically just ruined their international image forever. 
Like they played the Borat theme tune at when uh, one of their uh, uh, athletes won international competition. Oh man, that's crazy! Really? Yeah. It's like they now. I think you're, it's an arrestable offense to quote Borat in Kazakhstan. <laughs> I want to think like a country and I don't like. Blame them. It's still a funny film. It's like uh, Austria deserves to have uh, Bruno because fuck Austria. What? They gave us Arnold Schwarzenegger and Hitler. One out of two ain't bad. They got it right the first time. Depending on uh, your view of the world, uh, whichever one you prefer most is uh, up to you. Okay, and uh, <laughs> I think we should transition from talking about shows set in waterscapes speaking to of, uh, actual con- places set speaking on Speaking of ice. controversial statements, um, yeah. we're going to talk about Itonia, which uh, Dr. Shafiq and I watched. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Guys, what do you think about it? Fuck me, that was a good movie. That was surprisingly amazing. It's like, and I'm going to say, th- I've said this before I think, and I'll say it again, Margot Robbie, holy shit, what witchcraft did you commit to be able to pull off the perfect American accent? When she was doing Suicide Squad, is it obvious? No, when she was <laughs> doing Wolf of Wall Street. Oh yeah, that too. No, yeah. before that, she got cast in Pan Am, which was one season before it got cancelled. But mm. like, she's pulled off the Boston, uh, the uh, whatever the fuck it was in uh, Suicide Squad, <laughs> and then she has like no, I think American I, like, I liked her version of Harley Quinn. No, it was very good and it was perfect. But then also in Tony Harding is from uh, Oregon, yeah. which is the Pacific Northwest, which is a very Specific difficult, accent, it's yeah. It's a difficult one to get right, and she pulled it off. Like, my god, this woman is amazing. And before you guys go on ahead, maybe just a bit of synopsis about the story. So, if you all remember the 80s, uh, Tonya Harding was basically banned for life from skating because she was kind of accused as being one of the conspirators for the smashing of Nancy Kerrigan's kneecaps. Yeah. So this film decides to explain everything through the point of view of uh, Tonya Harding and also her ex-husband, played brilliantly by Sebastian Shaw, the Will, the Winter Sebastian Soldier, Stan. Soldier, the Winter Soldier, Sebastian Stan. Stan, my bad. Who's Sebastian, Sebastian Shaw? Shaw is uh, some other actor. There you go. Sebastian Stan, yes. one of Hollywood's uh, Sebastians. Sebastian. Yeah, one of the Sebastians. One like of the Sebastians. Like we have one of the Chris's. <laughs> <laughs> but if anything, I would say like, okay, um, let's just gush about this film straight away. The best thing is the performances. Absolutely. Everybody is not only on their A-game. Like, I would say this, Margot Robbie does all the heavy lifting because basically she does the most point to camera and she does the most... I mean, it's basically all about her rise, like, uh, her rise and her fall. Yeah. Was she like a completely different character? Just Tonya Harding. Like, you could believe that it was... The thing is, I have no... I'm not aware of the real Tonya Harding. Neither am I. I mean, this is obviously way before my time. I was alive then, so yeah, I can yeah. explain things. Yeah. But I will say this, right? From what I gather, it's like, um, if she's trying to personify her or do an imitation, I would say, I don't see it. But if she's trying to do a character that's like vivid and easy to follow, and basically you you fall in love with how much of a bitch she can be. Oh, yeah. And it's like, and it's the thing is like... It's but they explain why she is, because you get introduced to her mother. Yeah. Oh, yes, she's been played by this woman, Alison Janey. Who, yeah, who is toe-to-toe with like Margot Robbie the both of them especially when they have scenes together especially when they fight with each oh, other God. you believe them you're like that's a mother and daughter fighting you know and that's the, the, the greatest thing about this film because it's uh, I hate to say this but tour de force everybody Abs- yeah. there is not a single weak actor anywhere even the woman they got to play Nancy Kerrigan she screamed properly yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that she was reacted the, appropriately that for getting the, a knee that smashed the, uh, that was the ultimate my knee <laughs> so no. just a backup to Tony Harding's mother she was 
abusive? Was she what? Yeah, she was a tiger mom. She's a tiger mom. Okay. I mean, like for, now I know. For, for just Asian for figure skating, and she's like the ultimate abuser. I not in like a like she does the physical stuff, but it's more like. The, the psychological, right, the kind of yeah. like you are nothing. You're a piece of shit. I'm giving up everything for you and your fucking. Oh, the guilt trips, right? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, like she, I, she's using that wedding. Like, I mean, I fortunately never experienced this, but I know of people who have had to deal with these kind of people. Like the kind of malignant, like just evil people can have against their own like uh, child. But more of an aside as yeah. well, I would say this: like, um, this whole film is about irredeemable characters. Yeah. But the best thing about this film is how they're all redeemed in one way or another. It's like you feel uh, even the people who you don't uh, empathize with, you feel sorry for. Like um, the ex-husband played by Sebastian Stan, he is an awful human being. He's stupid and insecure, and like, but you believe that he really loves Tonya yeah, Harding. Yeah, and, he's like, also he, hopeless romantic. Yeah. yeah, and he's just so all these little shades popping up. Like right? he's Isn't so it? pathetic. I would even say little shades like. These actors paint with really broad brushstrokes, and the thing is, they do it so masterfully yeah. that you don't notice that they're acting. And that's the thing is, like the the immersive quality is so deep and so like enthralling that the only problem is when you see the skating. That's when immersion breaks yeah. for me. <laughs> we'll talk about the skating. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, guys. One of the flaws I have. I'm gonna talk about the potential elephant in the room, which is all of the domestic abuse which happens. You want to say that you want to call them out on whether I'm it's not, factual? I'm not going to call it out. I'm not, I'm not going to... Uh, whether it's factual or not, that's none of my business. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's what Tonya says, that's what Tonya says. Whatever. I'm just talking about um, portraying domestic abuse in a film which is meant to be funny. That is a very dangerous road to go down. And the way they handle it, I wouldn't say it's flawless. I would say that if there's someone who does get uh, triggered by this, um, I, I hate to use that word because that's got negative connotation, but anyone who is badly affected by this, I can't speak for them, I can't say you won't be affected, but I'm saying that they did it as well as they could without having an awkward tonal shift. Hmm. Because of the way that she disassociates whilst it's happening. Like well, we're, we're kind of like uh, office spike the lens, kind of like, this is my life, smack! Like, well, I would say so. This is more like a drama comedy per se, right? It's not a even a drama. Or... It's a it's a full on comedy. Like <laughs> okay. yeah. even the harshest things are hilarious. Yeah. But like you know, going on what you said, speaking as an Asian boy who was beaten since a child. Yeah. Yeah, fine. Okay. <laughs> I, like, and I got I'm, the caning too. The I'm, I'm alright. Like, yeah. We fine. all understand what negative reinforcement feels like yeah. here in Asia. So it's like it's yeah, supposed yeah. to strengthen character. That that feels normal <laughs> to me. <laughs> okay, fine. But I'm talking about like, like actual domestic abuse. Like with the uh, like with uh, Sebastian's character yeah. and like. I mean, the, that was one where they were able to like not make it feel icky, but at the same time, like afterwards, I read people. Well, I saw an interview with um, uh, Margot Robbie about it. Yeah. And she said that it was the most difficult thing to do because holy shit, well, it's like you know, it's something you have to include because mm. it's it's what defines Tonya Harding's career. It's like because the main reason why she was like the bad girl of skating was that uh, no one liked her like the uh, figure skating. She's world. a bit rougher on the edges. Yeah. She's white trash. White trash. She comes from a poor ass family. Her mother is a waitress. Her father hunted animals and then left when she was what eight or nine. Played very well by Carrie Elwes. Oh yeah, like for the brief, good job. <laughs> for the brief time he was in, he was really good. But you know, she's you know, regularly beaten by her husband, like who she can't leave because like she's got confused her feelings about it because of her mother. And yeah, you know, she swears, she smokes, she drinks. You know, she's 
very obviously extremely unrefined and in the world of figure skating where you know the queen or the princess is Nancy Kerrigan who is this Bostonian socialite like this elegant swan compared to her ugly duckling you know and the thing is like she comes out like skating to ZZ Top and literally picking fights with the judges oh yeah that was a fantastic like uh, that was a fantastic performance, and they scored her badly because oh, it's not new. It's not a it's not proper music. skating and all. Yeah, that, right? so I, there was a part where she goes back onto the ice to like pick a fight with a judge. Mm-hmm. I wanted her to take off her ice skate and just smack him across the face. <laughs> Damn! Because and also there's a part later in the movie. I know I'm jumping about a little bit. But I just want, this is a reference to like how they treat it. She mm-hmm. finally confronts one of the judges in uh, the, the parking lot. He says, "Look." I'm sorry, I know you're a gladiator, we just don't like you, you just don't fit, like, yeah, you they, you want to be the face of America? No, fuck that. No, that's what I like about it, like, it's a small porthole into the whole figure skating world, which I didn't know I would be interested in. Yeah, it's like, it's it's like a Game of Thrones level of politics going on. I mean, in... not that hard, like, no pregnant women get stabbed in the stomach, I'm sorry. Well, people's kneecaps get broken, so, you know. Yeah, you know, but that's it, how starting. It's a hard starting. world, this, uh, <laughs> this ice skating world. I mean, I would think any competitive sport probably has its, you know... It's uh, drama, it's... Yeah, you know, but yeah. the thing is, is like, I think the strength of this film is that I am so compelled to root for these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, right, I would say this, um, coming out of this movie, okay, it's, I don't think it's even spoilers, because this happened. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, if you, it's, if you, it's, if it's you, if you Google this, you know what happens, right? It's There's actual history, well, yes. I think, which came out... Uh, there were several documentaries. It was like 2000-ish, right? There was, documentaries. H- there was HBO... Uh, TV docudrama possibly but this is what I want to say mostly about this film is the fact that um, like the thing is when I was growing up in that era like the, the, the Tonya Harding incident happened when I was probably primary school or secondary school like it's definitely in that era and the thing is me as a young guy I wasn't aware of the world of phys- figure skating yeah. I wasn't even like that interested in like you know the Olympics or sports in general but I was aware of Tonya Harding and the things she does because I do remember the media blitz that happened Yes. because basically it was all over the news like it yeah. reached all the way down here it was international people were like saying oh hey drama the Olympics uh, one figure skater mangles another figure skater yeah, and then they, the name Tonya Harding they've yeah. tw- they twisted the narrative and that's something I think that they did very 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 well in this movie this was done as like the climax of the film or halfway no 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 this is basically they all lead up to it and then and then they show like the fallout afterwards yeah Mm. and they they do it so well and the thing is I want to say this is like um, after watching this film and the thing is it's not biased or ambiguous they present the facts as it's told or as it was told to them I mean there's still definitely an element of unreliable narrator because it's uh, you know Tonya saying one thing John is saying another thing yeah. Be official reports, which will say another thing, but in the very even like in some random FBI guy, like oh this <laughs> asshole, look at him, you know. Yeah, and there was like uh, that uh, media guy, like that uh, paparazzi uh. motherfucker who was uh, talking as well. But I will say this, right? Like, despite all that, and like you know, I mean, it's it's a beautiful like you know sets of contradictions for you to yeah. like agree on or disagree on. But for me, it's like the movie tells a story strong enough to like okay. I think the whole world owes Tonya Harding an apology. Yeah, there's Ooh, a there's damn, a part that's a strong one. There's a part yeah. where she basically calls out like she stares at the camera and says, You are part of the my abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Basically saying when the media turn against her, mm-hmm. they abuse her just as badly as she'd been abused her entire and life. And to me this is what catapults this film into like greatness. Because yeah. like the thing is like hey, we've made our best ten movies of two thousand seventeen already. I wanna redo the list because of this. <laughs> like literally it's like, oh my god, this is I won't even say underrated. I would say um, 
there is no market for films like this, I yeah, guess. Yeah. I think the biopic is a hard one to sell because unless it's Especially if it's a character that like the current generation that people don't even know like, or even yeah. like, if associate it's, if with. If it's not a quirky English dude who's famous, <laughs> it's very hard to sell. Wow. It's like, how are you going to sell a woman in her 40s uh, who smokes like a chimney, drinks like a yeah. fish... How do you make a white and trash fucks character like a beast. Yeah. <laughs> How do you sympathize with white trash per se? Uh, you do. You, you do. I mean, you it, do. That's the problem. Yeah. You like you watch it and you're like, oh my god, these these are human beings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, making bad decisions. But the thing is, there's it's that's the what, environment, right? Not even just that. It's just like you you fall for how fallible they are. Mm. Yeah, I mean, speaking of fallible. Do you want to talk about the best character in this uh, movie? Yeah, oh, well, it's the best character. Sebastian Stan's best friend slash ninja slash counter terrorist expert slash he is master am- of disguise. He is amazing. <laughs> right, this is this is a real guy. This okay. is a real individual. This really fat. Like, I mean, like morbidly obese dude. Okay. Who has Come on, some- let's not body shame the actor. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but, wow. Okay, go on. I, I just wanted like to paint a picture like you know what he looks like and he's your typical basement dweller. Okay. Yeah, right. He he literally lives in his parents' basement. <laughs> Some of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. And uh, he chats this massive shit about how he is this counter-terrorism bodyguard uh, special agent. He'd seen uh, he'd seen action on in the Gulf War. He was part of uh, Contra. Basically, your friend who's full of shit who can't stop telling lies, but the thing is, you keep him around because you kind of you kind of love him. And also, <laughs> also because he has a free space to hang out in the parents' basement. Ah, uh, right, right. And uh, it's just he has some of the best lines. Oh God, yeah. yeah. And this thing is not even comic relief. It's like he's he's, he's just he's, telling what happens, and you're blown away. Super <laughs> earnest. Like there's this one scene where um, uh, John Giluli, I think he's called. Yeah. Uh, he drives uh, 24 hours to wherever Tony Harding is um, uh, doing. Um, what's the word? Um, Skating practice. She's, she's, Skating she's, practice. She's just to say fuck you. All right. And uh, he's talking the entire time about the gameplay. Like, oh, we need to do this. We gotta keep quiet. <laughs> So, uh, Dr. Shivik and I were in the front row laughing our asses off. Because we know people like that. For five minutes, this guy was just talking. Like, there's a scene where he just wakes up in the back of the car, just shirtless, just covered in Doritos. It's like talking and eating at the same time. Like, oh, man. Talking like some kind of spec ops I would agent. say, like, the, the, a good example. I think I know someone like that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you do. We all know someone like that. We all know someone. I mean, like, it's... It's close to like when you see like when you see Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. Anyway, yeah. we know a guy just like that, <laughs> and it's like and the thing is right. They even splice. I mean, it does what a lot of biopics do, where they splice actual footage at the yeah. end credits, mm-hmm. and then you see him in real life saying the same things. And it's like, wow, wow. <laughs> it's like I'm not surprised, but wow. Yeah. I want to say this right. This this is the perfect testament to the old adage like yeah, stranger than fiction. Yeah. yeah. You can't top reality <laughs> sometimes. So, uh, we were watching that character. It's like, okay, this has to be exaggerated. And then they showed the interview. It's like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> he's really like that. <laughs> Props to the actor. I, I wish I had his name here on the phone, though. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, um, there's so little to criticize. I think the only thing that the Shafiq and I can agree on, which was a bit weak, is the, the chink in the armor is basically the skating. The skating scenes. itself. Yeah. And I do know that like this movie was kind of promoted as like Margot Robbie took like. 6 months, 12 months or something She took a year learning to f- uh, figure skate But the thing is like Okay, I get it It's not it. It's an actress 
may skate for a year, but you'll you'll never be as good as Tonya Harding. Of course, of course. Who landed the triple X? The only American woman ever to land the triple X. And the thing is, I love the fact that when I watch this movie, like, oh, so that's the big deal. (laughs) She landed the triple X. And when I saw it, like oh okay oh, that is hard to do you know it's like when when I complain about like how people don't understand the relevance of Tony Hawk's 900 yep. it's like that's two and a half turns in the air you know how hard that is and landing it and then you see this and then I'm like oh cool and then you also start to realise like not it doesn't, the movie doesn't fall apart and it's no detriment to the film in itself but it's the CGI is a little bit obvious it is I, it's like because the the colour changes yeah it's got that not, I wouldn't say Uncanny Valley, but it's got that uh, video game sheen. I would you say this, I mean? like, you, when mm. you look at how Margot Robbie is lit compared to her background, you yeah. can see, like, okay, there's some green screen there's, work there's going on. There's artificial light going on. Yeah. Well. You know I'm actually going to watch this film later on. I'm, that's probably the one thing I'm going to wait for, to see how that's going to It's happen. not terrible, but the thing is, it's noticeable. Yeah. Because it's how immersive the rest of the film is. And then the thing is, like... That's, it's, it's not even like a yank, but you slowly get pulled away from the immersion. You're kind of like, oh wait, but yeah. I think this is a caveat where, you know, uh, you've worked with this kind of technology yeah, before. Yeah, I've yeah, done yeah. CG. And also, we've all seen so many movies where we start seeing these things. We know what's bad CG, like, we know what's good for, CG. For the average person to see this in a cinema, this isn't going to be an attraction. Yeah, yeah I doubt so. Yeah. I, I don't think you'd even notice. Like we only notice because I mean yeah I worked yeah. in the media industry so it's like <laughs> I noticed when like uh, you gotta kind of you needed to render a few things a little yeah. bit more but the thing is like special effects guys whoever was put to task to put like the skate scenes together mm-hmm. still amazing job yeah. amazing job I mean like this this film was on a shoestring budget of sorts right I think the budget was because Margot Robbie had to step in and produce the thing yeah. at one point yeah. I th- well, I think she it was actually to... on 11 million budget. which is and small that yeah. Is really yeah that's pretty small, small it's small standards. and the thing is I'm pretty sure like with the amazing performances like I'm sure these actors worked for scale and they got back 28 million that was pretty good there you go and there you go yeah. yeah and I mean honestly uh, if this is what we can expect from Margot Robbie if, as a producer role I think she, once she's done with acting itself, if she ever decides to stop with that and move towards more like the production direction side. Do you think so? She I think, yeah, she does have an eye for projects, I guess. Yeah, I, because like she took, I've seen interviews where she talks about her role in like getting the money, getting like the parts together. I think she definitely helped make this movie. Because if she was just like the actress and left it to other people, I feel like maybe the like, touch would have been lost. I guess so. I think she would be like this generation's Tom Hanks. You know what I mean? Like, but she's a yeah. much better actor than Tom Hanks. How dare you? Tom Have you not seen that thing you do? That yes. was amazing. <laughs> Have you not seen it was Bang? a very good Tom Hanks. <laughs> okay. Have you not seen Splash? That's even better Tom Hanks. Have you not seen Castaway? That's, that's Tom a, Hanks by himself. Yeah. That's a Tom he Tom plays, Hanks. yeah, he's at a desert island with a fucking volleyball, goddammit. Have it. you not seen Bridge of Spies? He's yes. Tom Hanks with a cold. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, obviously you guys think this movie is freaking awesome. This movie is spectacular. What's your final rating for this? 9 out of 10. Yeah, 9 out of 10. This is damn near perfect, this movie. Damn near perfect, I would agree too. Yeah, I mean, as a biopic and... And definitely deserves his Oscar nomination, right? For Margot Ruby especially. This is the first film where I've had to break my rule for biopics. I have a personal rule where you can't make a good biopic if the subject is still alive because there's always going to be a kind of skirting around which is why the movie about Queen which is going to come out is not going to be good 
Because Brian I May that, is still alive and he's gonna fuck it up. I literally have that same problem with Straight Out of Compton because yeah. it felt like it oh, was skewed towards Ice Cube's and Dr. Dre's well, perception. I would say right? it's like the victors get to rewrite history yeah, in yeah, a sense. Yeah. So, That's how it is in like, real life, man. Dr. Dre was just yo, this amazing guy and totally not at all a piece of shit who beats his beats women. Yeah. It's messed up, you know, when you think about it. And there's no nepotism when you have Ice Cube played by his son. Exactly. You know what I mean? He did a good job, though. He did a good job, but then... But there was that feeling there, you know? You cannot shake that off. I mean, like, the best thing about Straight Outta Compton was the guy who played Easy e Like, damn. Good stuff, good stuff. Ironically, the only one to die as well gets the one with the most realistic uh, portrayal. I guess so. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to complain too much about Straight Outta Compton because a lot of people love that movie for some reason. (laughs) I liked it. Yeah, it was alright. I mean, it was entertaining, but it's like... I watched uh, it with a big fan of hip, of uh, West Coast hip-hop, so I think that helped uh, elevate it for me. Mm. My brother-in-law is really, really into uh, West Coast hip-hop. Uh, my, my main problem with Shreya Compton is that like, it should have ended at the death of Easy e I didn't need it to continue to Dre's success or Ice Cube's success afterwards. Because yeah. I'm... In the closing, right. I want the, it to be just about well, NWA. Yeah, you and know? then to show like uh, you know, um, 50 Cent's dumbass face come up. Uh, yeah, it goes on for a while. It's like... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that, that was an end credits problem, you know. It all that had all like, that shit pandering. It's like, okay, again. fine, show Eminem. He got discovered by Drake. Exactly. But like, why are you showing the guy discovered by Eminem? Like, that's becoming a bit too uh, circle jerky. I think you should have just stopped that, like you know, before Snoop Dogg or Tupac. Because yeah. I do understand you need to show the the Shook Knight arc. Yeah. 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 But you could have st- you you could have trimmed that movie down yeah. and focused it. Wasn't bit more. the guy who played Tupac so scarily like Tupac? But the thing is, he was in the background. We don't really see him much. That was a, <laughs> but, that was a damnest spitting image. Good job, though. Yeah. You know, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. Why anyway, are we talking about this? Yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. Ice skating, white ice people. Skating. <laughs> Back to white people. From ice skating to rapping. Hmm. Okay. Well, there's a connection with a white, white trash. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, MGK, my favourite white trash rapper. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, pff, sorry. So, um, I would say this. Um... Everybody needs to see Aitonia. Absolutely. I yeah. would say this is the film where Margot Robbie has, a, I, I think, a very strong chance of winning uh, Best Actress. Meryl Streep is nominated for the post. For the post. But yes, that's for like, the post. That's like a Speaking Spielberg of Tom Hanks, right. That's mm. Spielberg on uh, autopilot, from what I've heard. Really? Like, it's a fine, but it's definitely designed by, because he sees that there's an empty space in his Academy Award, um, uh, like... Like his uh, landfill of Oscar uh, there also, statues. There are also quite a number of top names here. The lady from Lady Bird. Oh, Have you seen that, guys? No, it's not out yet. It's coming I out think it's next week. By the time this podcast is out, it should be out. Yeah, that should be our next episode. We're going to yeah. talk about Lady Bird. And who else was nominated for Let's Best see. There is Best Frances McDormand, of course, and Sally Hawkins. Oh, oh yeah. three billboards, right? Yeah, yeah. Sally Hawkins, I don't, like, she did a good job, but not uh, Best Actress level. You think? No. I think she got a nomination I mean, out she got, she got... It was fine, it was good, but compare that to Francis McDormand, because I go back and listen to me gush about Francis McDormand yeah. in uh, Free Billboards. Check it out on the last wow. episode. And yeah, Margot Robbie, a girl from fucking Gold Coast, sounds like someone who was born and raised near Seattle. So here's the question I want to ask you, between the two, who would you give the Oscar to? I, Tonya. Really? Hmm. Close, 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 maybe because it's fresh in my mind, but I think it's just little bit tighter. I like, would say like maybe billboards. Frances McDormand is not as redeeming or entertaining. She's she's definitely nowhere near as redeeming. But she's a good linchpin for that movie. Oh, Whereas she, like I, Tonya is like she's fan- you see an arc. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Frances McDormand is fantastic but there's a bit less character growth and yeah. she's not someone you want to hang out with. After watching this I want to go give Tonya Harding a massive hug. Before she breaks your knees. 
Or she asked well, somebody to. <laughs> yeah, okay, so else you fuck you in a corner or something, right? Nah. Uh, you just need to bring the right CD. Yeah. yeah. Probably like Def Leppard's greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, so uh, strong recommendations for The Shape of Water and Itonia. More Oscar films we're gonna discuss as we head towards Oscar season. Next week we have to talk about Black Panther. And Ladybird and Black Panther. Yeah. Okay, so and maybe even some of the Oscar stuff that's you know before well, March hits. We will have our full Oscar episode at some points where we just do a rundown of what we think should win and shouldn't win. Should I? Should we do Call Me by Your Name? Nah. I, mean, I, I don't. I don't want to talk about it. No, I mean, <laughs> it's we'll, alright. We'll reference it when we talk about the Oscars, but I don't yeah. think it's. So please, enough. yes, Last King fans, stay tuned as uh, the road to Oscars 2018. <laughs> road is to this, Oscars. Is this what yeah. we're doing? Apparently, it's like yeah. Road to Evo, except movies. Remember when we used to talk about video games? Yeah. Oh yeah, yes, we did. Dragon Ball Fighter Z, guys. Yeah. That was good game. Two weeks ago. Yeah, we're still going. Okay, yeah. and then we talked about Disney princesses because Happy Birthday Snow White. Yep, yeah, pretty yeah. much, pretty much. <laughs> go check out our stuff at soundcloud.com slash thelastkingpodcast. Okay. There you go. And if anything, uh, so we're wrapping it off. Okay, this is me on the cutting edge himself. Uh, on the cutting room floor? On the cutting room floor as well. Yes, you know, in the fish tank, having fun. <laughs> Dr. Shafiq. This is best special effects, Mr. Toffee. And this is the graceful, eccentric Tom doing the quadruple axle. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a perfect time from the judges. Whee! <laughs> Signing out.